You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First, uh, first Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. Do any Sunday school teachers know what is in First Samuel 17? Of course, you all do. You're just being humble and don't raise your hand. I'm sure of that. <clears throat> oh, it's the story of David and Goliath. Probably my, mm, I mm, probably think my favorite story. Outside of Calvary, I love the story of, uh, of David and Goliath for a lot of reasons, and it's uh, very encouraging. And I don't get to preach these messages a lot because I'm in a series, in each one of our services, I'm in a series in another book, and I don't really get to go back and, and preach these kinds of messages like this, like I would like to. And so, I thought, what would I preach if I'm ill-prepared? Is there a story in the Bible and uh, something you would like to? And you're going to have to forgive me. I've got to get this thing fixed. Um, that I'd like to preach on that I would not normally get to, uh, to preach on. And man, I always run to David and Goliath. If I had, um, oh, back when I was the assistant pastor and Pastor Henry was here, if somebody would have come up to me and said, hey, Brother Phil, junior church preacher sick, uh, you need to run back right now and, and preach a, a message to those kids. On my way back to the, Sunday, uh, the junior church, I would be turning to 1 Samuel 17. I mean, I, I just love it for a lot of, like I say, a lot of different reasons. So uh, if you'll turn there with me this morning, and uh, I want us to start in verse well, we can start in verse 1, and we'll work our way down and pause at a certain place. Of course, the whole chapter, as you can see, has 58 verses. And we'll read portions of it, and we're going to move around. Most of us know the story of David and Goliath, and I think I could probably not even read the text and make reference to what was said here and there and some of the thoughts and things that were said. And you'd know instantly from a lesson you've taught or preached or uh, something that you've used in the past um, you would be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. So if you'll look with me there in the verse 1, 1 Samuel 17, drop down to verse 1. <clears throat> now the Philistines, and I don't know how your Bible pronounces that, you know, if it's self-pronouncing, it's got the markings on it and stuff. Mine pronounces it Philistines, and everybody looks at me weird like, preacher, they're the Philistines, don't you know that? Um, so I'll call them the Philistines, all right? So now the Philistines gathered uh, together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephesdemim. Everybody's familiar with Ephesdemim. Not. <laughs> but, verse 2, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah. 
and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, one of the big cities, five big cities in, in the, of the Philistines, whose height was six cubits and a span. My Bible says that's nine feet and nine inches tall. You probably have some varying number like that. But just know and understand if anybody's, you know, approaching nine feet, that guy's a giant, all right? Verse 5, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had um, greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. So imagine the spear that this guy's holding out, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and my uh, Bible says that's up to 15 pounds there, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? What he's saying is, we don't need all these armies. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. So let's go man to man, that's what he's saying. Send the armies home and we'll just fight the battle. Whoever wins is uh, the victor and you guys are going to serve us. Verse 9, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Is there, is there somebody over there on your side that will stand up against what I have just said? I defy these armies of Israel. I defy the, the God, basically, of Israel. Is there any man over there that has any kind of guts that's willing to come over and fight for what he feels like is worth fighting for? So verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David was that son of uh, that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. Now, let me, let me just, for time's sake, let me just say this. David's dad sent David out to bring some food to his three brothers that had gone into battle with Saul. They'd followed Saul into the battlefield, and David's dad said, son, I need you to take this little basket of goodies, and I want you to go and, and bring it to your uh, brothers and to the captain of the thousand that's over them. And so we know the story. As, they, uh, as he went on his journey, he showed up, topped over the, the hill, looked down over the hillside, and there was all of Israel's armies on one side, uh, lined up to go out to battle against the Philistines, and on the other side of this great valley was the Philistines, and little David looked up, and he saw... Um, huge tall guy approaching them coming through the crowd of the Philistines and the crowd of the Philistines I'm sure were all parting their ways so that this big guy could show up and he'd stand there and he'd call for a man to be able to come across and to fight this guy I defy the armies of the living God I defy the armies of Israel and David stood there thinking <clears throat> boy Israel's going to take off and show those guys something because we have the God of Israel on our side and everybody stood still and shook in their boots or sandals, whatever they wore. 
in that day. David couldn't believe it. It was a, it was a stunning prospect to him. Uh, what was going on there, his heart was stirred. And if I can just have a word of prayer with you this morning, I want to I share a message on how to make it through life's greatest difficulties. I, I, I thought and thought and thought and thought about this passage and how it seems to parallel in so many ways with the Christian's walk uh, in our lives today. Let me pray and then we'll get into that. Lord, thank you again for letting us be here uh, in church today. And I just would ask you, God, will you help me, Lord, to be able to uh, share my heart, Lord, the things that you put on my heart as uh, I was thinking and contemplating this yesterday. And may the Holy Spirit of God work in every heart and life and stir us up to the glory of God. Um, we pray and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. You ever notice how some people in life, and, I, and you can bring it into church here if you want to, or you can, uh, you can move out to any setting that you may want to of people that you know, Christians. I'm talking about Christians. Maybe it's even some of your family members. And, and it might be just a person here in church that's real strong in the Lord. And they just seem to, it just no matter what comes their way, they just still keep on serving. Uh, you can tell it was a blow to them. They, it was really hard to them. And that you can tell it was hard for them to catch their breath even. But just some people just seem to be able to get up and go on and just keep on serving. Uh, never seem to miss a beat is the words we like to use. And then at the same time, there are others who might experience similar circumstances, um, maybe not even as great as what maybe some of those people had experienced, but it, uh, it waylays them. They are so set aside that you just, uh, lots of times you don't see them in church after that, or, or they just become very sporadic. Uh, you can tell by their demeanor, something is just not right with them. And they've, they've come into some really difficult times. And when they came into those difficult times, they got stuck there and never could get out. They never could seem to progress on and, and do anything great for the Lord anymore or even have a desire. They just kind of mechanically, almost like a robot, just kind of moving around in life. And when you do see them in church, that's about sometimes the extent of what it becomes. They may sputter a little bit and try to get back into serving and doing things but largely speaking, whatever it was that came at them and whatever hit them as hard as it did, it did the number on them and they're, they're kind of set aside. In their heart, they're just not there. Do you know what I mean? Why is it some people are so good at being able to plow right on through and to be able to get through the mountain, so to speak, uh, and the, the, the valley is not too deep for them? They, they go down and come right back up or the mountain's not too high. You see them scaling the top and they're up there praising the Lord, and it may be a very difficult thing. It may be something like what I'm just continuing to get here on, on my phone about the Ruckmans, and I, and I know that's a family that this is a very difficult place for them to come to, and they've been there many times already with their son uh, at death's door, and, um, and I, I know Brother Ruckman's heart. Um, I, I know that they, will, they want with everything in them for their son to rise up out of this bed again, and him to travel on the rest of their journeys, join them here in Sioux Falls, and, and uh, work on, a, on developing a church for the Lord. I know that's their desire, uh, but uh, I know that man is trusting the Lord, and I know that whatever God's choice is, that man's going to go on and keep serving God. I, I just, he's got that heart. You know what I'm saying? 
how come some people are like that and, and others are, are the other way? Why, why uh, did, were they just born that way? Did God add extra genes or something to this guy um, so that he can just make it and then I, I'm depleted in, in those areas and I can't seem to, to plow right on through this big thing right in front of me? What is it about some people that can make it and others that just don't seem to make it? I, uh, I was looking at the story here and I, I realized just how many of those men here in this story, that was them. I mean, they came up on a very difficult place in life. Many of those men did. Matter of fact, it was all the army of Israel. It was King Saul. And they'd come upon a 10-foot giant in front of them. And man, they're plowing on through. We're inhabiting the land that God gave us to inhabit. And we realize we've still got some enemies on the, the perimeter of our country. And our job is to wipe them out and to have this land that flows with milk and honey. We're living in the land of promise, right where God wants us to be. And yet they've come upon something that has brought them to a complete standstill. Are they going to make it or are they not going to make it? Are they going to plow right on through or is, is this the place where life comes to a halt and my service to God doesn't go any further and I just kind of bail out on God. I exist as a Christian, but as far as really serving God, I've, uh, I've kind of let up. I mean, uh, this, this one got me, I've heard people say, or this was so bad, I, I didn't know how to get beyond this. Why are there some people that know how to, to plow right on through Goliath and others uh, they're at a standstill, standing on the other side of the valley. Notice there was a deep valley between them. And that valley is just there in their life, and they just they don't know what to do. They're scared to death. Fear has gripped them. And I see that happen so many times in the Christian life. So fearful, not knowing what to do. This thing's really, really big, preacher. If you knew all the details and all the effects that it could have in my life, you'd understand why I'm at a standstill. I don't know how to get beyond this. How do some make it and some don't? Uh, you can read the chapter. It's tremendous. That young guy, that little teenage boy, looks around in total disbelief. He's like, guys, the king said what? And all the soldiers said, well, the king said, whoever goes up and fights this guy and defeats him, uh, he's going to give his daughter to him to marry, uh, and they'll be tax-free, basically. They'll be tax-free in the country. Uh, I mean, he's pretty much going to get anything he wants. Now, here's David's reply to that. What? It wasn't like, oh, man, you guys aren't going out there. I'm going out there. I got to get out there before any of you guys do because I want the prize. It wasn't that. David was shocked that such a great price had to be dangled out in front of the people to hopefully get them to go out and fight and do what everybody ought to have been doing already. He couldn't believe that it was taking them being bribed with the king's daughter and to be tax-free in order to get somebody to say, well, maybe it's worth it. I think, man, I might get killed, but I might kill him, and my, my whole family's tax-free, and man, I, I uh, got the king's daughter to be my wife. Well, okay, and he's weighing the two things like this, trying to decide, is it... Uh, is it worth me going out there? And David can't believe that it's come down to this, to a place in life where men of God that know the real, true, and living God and have seen his grace and power work in their life, where they have to be enticed to get them to go out and serve God and do what's right. 
We've kind of come to that place in uh, American Christianity. Do you know that? If you have the just right kind of service, if the music is exactly the way we like it, you know, if the preacher's got a dynamic message and doesn't step on my toes, and if everything goes just right, you know, and things are just the way I feel like it's worth it, then I might make the sacrifice and step out and do some great things for God. Kind of where we've gotten to. In, in generally speaking, in, in Christianity today. Give me enough. You give me enough. You dangle enough out in front of me, and I, I just might come and be a part of that church. But God give us a man, please, who looks out and sees what it's going to take and knows the God that's being mocked and says, my God's worth everything I have. Keep your, keep your daughter. Keep, keep your tax. I'll send you my tax money, but I'm going to go and take care of this guy. Where are the Christians like that today? How come some guys can do that and others don't? I just want to share with you what I, you can pick it out of the passage. It's so easy to see. The guys that make it, here's why they do. You, the, the very most obvious one, it's the one that stands out to everybody. Because number one, those guys have a cause. They wake up with a purpose in their heart. Just burning in their heart and mind. They, they, have, a, they have a determination that just burns inside of them. Uh, it, it's, it's that it's why they get out of bed. They, they get out of bed with this purpose in their heart and mind. And everything else is secondary to that purpose. Or it is uh, uh, that which I'm going to use to facilitate the purpose. I, I go to work because of the purpose that I have. I go to church because of the great purpose that's out in front of me. I, I do the things that I do. I serve the way I serve. I, I, I go to the house of God. And yeah, there's difficulties. And yes, there may be Difficult people sometimes to work with. Maybe circumstances aren't exactly the way I might like to see them. But I didn't go so that I could get something uh, from my attendance of, uh, at church. I went there because of what I owe to my God. And I have a purpose that burns in my heart. That's what drives my life. And no matter what comes up in front of me, I don't care if it's a difficulty or a 10-foot giant that's out here in front of me. I have a purpose I have a goal in my life that's worth everything. And nobody's going to have to bribe me or to try to challenge me or to rub my back enough so that I feel like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and give in and, and I'll get involved in this. This guy that makes it through life's greatest difficulties wakes up with a cause in his life every day of his life. First of all, look at those who were not making it. God showed us the guys that were not plowing through. God shows us the men that are standing along uh, one side of the valley and they're standing there trembling and shaking. Uh, look at verse 11. We're in chapter 17 still, right? Drop down into verse 11. When Saul and all Israel... Whoa. Now, we just gave you the, all the people there, but did you notice who it was? When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid can you just stop there for a minute guys look up here you know what it just said they said we're done <laughs> we're not going out there no way 
Uh, King's daughter sounds a little bit encouraging and no taxes and all that. A little bit encouraging, but I'm, no, I'm done. This is where I throw the towel in. I draw my line here. I'm going to sit here and wait on the rapture. I'm going to assume this place in my life and I'm done. And I, I, I'm not about to put my life on the line for something like this. No way. I mean, I love you guys, uh, and, I, and I love you fellow soldiers, but I'm not putting my life on the line for you. They've lost the cause. Long time ago, Christians ought to have laid their, their life at an altar. and said, God, here's my life, and whatever comes my way in this life, my life's not going to get in the way because I'm giving it to you. And the things that affect me most and the things that, that are big priorities to me when they come pounding at my life, where I'm most sensitive and where I can hurt the easiest in life, God, I'm laying that at the altar too. And when those things come pounding against that part of my life, God, uh, it's not going to matter because those aren't the things that I'm living for today. I'm going to die to those things today and live for God. But these guys have stood back and said, nah, it ain't worth it. It's not worth going out there and putting my life on the line. They'd never laid their lives down yet. Came to a pause. Look in verse 24. And all, here it is again, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Keeps a lot of Christians from moving forward that fear that works in people's hearts you know those things that come right up against who you are your identity is now shaken that part of my life that's so important to me is you're asking me to really lay that part of my life down aren't you preacher i'm not asking anything god pretty much told us though i i want your whole life it's not about the preacher every one of those men holding on dearly to those things that are closest to them. I'm not about to lay my entire life down for our... And they would say for, for fellow soldiers and, and honestly, even their families back home in the tents. Wow. Look at David's cause. Drop down to verse 28. <clears throat> and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the man... So here's the older brother looking at this young kid, David. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? Now, can we just put it this way? What is it that's driving your life? What is it that's really behind you, really? What's this all about, David? And so, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You just came down here to be wowed. You just want to know what it's like as a little teenage boy to see grown men laying their lives on the line and fighting and the bloodshed. That's the only reason you came down here, David. And burning down in little David's heart was a cause that was so much greater than his older brother and all his fellow soldiers and the man sitting on the throne in the kingdom. He had a cause that was greater than all those things. And his brother's trying to say, I know what your cause really is. You're just selfish. You just want to come down and see these things for yourself. And look in verse 29. And David said, can you just see him? His hands outstretched probably. What, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? 
So here's what the, that little guy did. That little guy took a knife out of his own, if I can just put it this way, uh, spiritual life, and said to his own brother and all the men standing around him and drove this knife of conviction into the heart of all those men and said, are you kidding me? You think this is, to me, is, is all about coming and seeing the show and, and to watch men's lives being laid on the line? You, you think that's why I came here to see grown-up men stuff and that's what's driving my life right now? And he pierces their heart and says, guys, isn't there a cause? Isn't there something that we laid our lives down for a long time ago? Isn't there something that I thought all of us was was willing to give everything up for. Isn't there a cause that is at work in our hearts and in our lives today? And I've got a feeling a little prick in Eliab's heart was taking place and the other fellow soldiers like, wait a minute, a bell just got rung a little bit and took me back to a place in my life where maybe I used to be surrendered and completely given over to God at a time like that. But quickly they looked up and saw 10-foot Goliath and remembered, no, I... I am not, I'm not going to do that. And then they just went on with their excuses. Older brother continued to make fun of little brother and tell him, your real cause is something selfish in your heart. David's cause was to conquer the land for the glory of God Almighty. The other trained soldiers had lost their cause. Did you hear that? The other trained soldiers been been out there for years and knew how to fight the battle had lost their reason for getting out of bed they lost their reason why we went to the battle in the first place they lost sight of why i carry my spear and why we march in 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 columns and why we're doing what we're doing they lost sight of it all and they forgot that there's a great god in heaven that's worth giving my everything to and that i lay my life down at an altar somewhere and then no matter what life can throw up in my face it doesn't matter i already gave my life to god that's not going to slow me down that's not going to hinder me i'm going to plow right on for the great cause that is out in front of my life i'm convinced the ruckmans will plow right on through no matter what i'm convinced of that Why? How come some people seem to make it so well and others seem to straggle behind and linger at the valley and they're never willing to step on a cross because many Christians have never really ever laid their entire lives down before God. You come upon some giant thing in your life and you struggle making it through life's greatest difficulties because your life is precious to you. And things that I have and my time and my talents and Things that I work hard for are important to me. Don't expect me to do things that would go beyond that. That's where a lot of Christians have made it. Why do some seem to make it and others don't? First of all, because they have a cause. Number two, they have some convictions. Now go down to verse 26. We're back there in verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying... What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? It taketh away the reproach from Israel. Do you hear what he just said there? And taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know what some of the other soldiers probably asked? Instead of asking, uh, what shall be done to the man? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Oh, Some men might have been saying, 
Now, 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 what did you say he's going to get? Uh, tax-free. What's the color of her hair? <laughs> what does she look like? I mean, those, that's the level of their um, convictions. Because their lives have lost conviction, David is so concerned that the name of God has been impugned, has been mocked and made fun of, and the very God that he knows would give his life for him uh, is being made, uh, made fun of again and, and nobody's standing up for the name of Christ and this nation of Israel that stands for the very name of God itself. David knows that. He's got conviction in his heart. You know what a conviction is? I, I know there's a lot of different ways to describe a conviction. It's a set of beliefs that you believe in so strongly that you would literally give your life for. How, does, how do people just seem to make it in life? can't believe those missionaries. They lost three children while they were on the mission field. Uh, even that one guy whose wife died, he's still over there on the mission field, still serving the Lord. Those wives, uh, uh, Brother Winter's wife, we still support. And uh, Brother Jimmy Johnson's wife, we still support. And uh, if I'm missing some of the others, forgive me. How do they keep on doing that? Um, their very life has been taken away from them, their spouse and their children. And I would say, wait a minute, that wasn't their life. They love them enough to give their life for them, but their children, are you hearing this? And their spouses were not their life. They loved them dearly, but their life was given over to somebody a lot greater and a lot higher. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they have a cause that's greater than anything in this life that can come along their way. Their, their cause is greater than uh, any human being. God help me. If, if I don't have my wife, I want to keep on serving God. It's like the author of the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. Who can get, tell me the name of that author? Who wrote that, guys? Weigel? Is that Charles Weigel that wrote that? His wife said, I'm done with the ministry. I'm tired of you going around traveling and singing and serving the Lord. And, and, I'm, and if you don't get out of the ministry, I'm done with you. And he just looked at her with a broken heart and said, honey, I, I love you enough to give my life to you. But he did give his life for me and I, I cannot abandon him. She says, then I'm gone. And she left him. And I believe it was the song, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, that he wrote after that event happened to him he had a set of convictions in his heart things that he was willing to live and die for things that are greater than things here on this earth i mean the others made no effort to defend the name of god because hey guys listen to this they made no effort to defend the name of god because when you lose your cause you also lose your convictions there's nothing else to live and die for. Now it's all about you and your life and what you can build up in your own life, what you can do for yourself now. Convictions lived out produces confidence in the lives of others. Look in verse 37. Man, when I take a stand for the things of God, when I see somebody that stands up for the Lord, when I see someone with strong convictions, it just, it just builds confidence in the others. And look in verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. In other words, man, I think this guy's got it. Uh, this guy's got something that none of my other soldiers have. 
This guy's got something that I don't even have. He's not willing to admit that. Young man, you go on, and I, I've, got a, I've got a pretty good feeling about this. When you'll take a stand for your convictions and the things that you know are right to do, when everybody else is mocking, making fun of, telling you to go on home and all those things, stand up for what's right. Take a stand for the things of God. There's a name much greater than anyone that sits in this room. His name is Jesus, and he gave his heart and his life for me. And it's a, it's a cause. It, it puts convictions in my heart. It's what keeps me going in the worst of my days. So what keeps people like them going? I'll say it again. Number one, they have a cause. Number two, they have a set of convictions. It's a God that's greater than all. Number three, it's because they have a companion, and they know it. Look in verse 44. Everybody there? Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Well, wait a minute, David, you're the one carrying the sling. What are you saying the Lord's going to do this? Well, David knew God was right beside him. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head <laughs> from thee. Can you see that little teenage boy doing that? This little 17-year-old boy, we're guessing, somewhere in that age bracket. And he looks up at this 10-foot giant and said, I'm going to cut your head off, bud. Can you see that giant? Oh, yeah, just come, come on up here and get it. You got rocks in your head, bud. If you think you're going to do that to me, can you hear David? Well, you're going to have one in yours. Verse 46, let's look at it again. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Man, we need to come back to an understanding. There is a God in the life of every Christian here today. There's a God that is a companion that walks alongside of us, who walks right up next to the giant with us, who takes the sling and directs the rock. I got an idea. Little David slung the rock and who knows, it could have gone way off trajectory, but God wasn't about to let that happen. God directed that rock exactly where it needed to go and drove it into the skull of that old giant. Verse 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It came to pass when the Philistines arose, the Philistine arose and came, drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran opposite direction of his buddies toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took thence a stone, and slang it. <laughs> All in one verse, guys. And smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead. I told you, you're going to have rock in your head, buddy. And fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. His sword was in his heart. 
Verse 51, therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. I, I loved the sto- uh, how uh, oh, Brother Marshall preached this message. Was there anybody else in the presence when Bill Marshall preached this message? Did you guys hear how he would tell how the little David teenage boy runs up there? What do, what do teenage boys do when they've got a, a trophy? <laughs> he said, I can see him taking Goliath's sword and taking that sword and striking the head off of that giant getting up on top of that giant i probably shouldn't do this on sunday morning right before we go eat lunch but i can see that teenage boy jump on top of that giant jumping up and down on him and saying my god can do anything and the whole time he's jumping okay i'm gonna say it blood squirting out of his neck squirt 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 and little david standing there saying what a great god we serve what a god amen so how come guys, how come some guys can come up on the biggest thing in their life, face that giant, just plow right on through that thing strong? And I, I really believe, guys, read the story again when you go home. It's so good. I've kind of broken it up today. But you can't walk away without understanding The reason that little guy made it and didn't join the rest of the army along the side here, trembling and shaking, because he really had a cause. His cause was the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, he had had convictions down in his heart. And then number three, because he had a companion. That companion was Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, The song was so good today. I almost had you guys sing it again. I wanted somebody to record that and send it to the Ruckmans, right? now i think that would be good for them to hear i know the master of the wind i know the master of the sea i know the master of any goliath in your life i know the master of anything that comes your way anything if you'll just stand up with conviction in your heart and realize we have the greatest cause in all the world and go out with that purpose burning on your heart and realize i have a companion his name is god who can overcome anything, then I'm going to go out and do great things for the Lord if God will help me to do so. Part of the problem is we want to stand on this side of the valley and never step across because you still own your life. Your life belongs to you. And you're going to determine when and where I will and won't do what I want to do. But I really believe with all my heart God is looking for a Christian man or a woman, a teenager, who'd be willing to come to an altar and say, God, I don't have much, but everything that I am, I'm going to lay it at an altar today and die to me. All those things that are precious to me, things that would normally draw me away from your service, I'm done with that. I'm done with those things hanging my life up. I'm done with being wowed and needing to be you know, having great things in front of my life and, and knowing that I'm really, you know, I'm achieving some really good things in my life. I'm done with that. My life is at an altar today and I lay my life down for you for the greatest cause this world could ever have, a great and a mighty God. Can you honestly say this morning, my life is at an altar. My heart is in the hand of God and wherever God wants to turn it, I, I'm willing to go. I'm not saying it'll not be tough. I'm not saying life won't, may not be difficult. I realize that. But holding on to my companion that walks into the valley with me and on up to the other side, I'm going to make it.
I'm going to serve God today. Can you say that my heart is in his hand this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.